Oh, hi there, and welcome to a new episode of the Audio Epic Storytelling Podcast. Today's episode is the second part in a two-part conversation. Well, we recorded it as one big conversation, and then I split it up because it was a bit long. So uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you might want to do that first before listening to this one. Okay, and here is uh, Storytelling Viewpoints, part two. To wrap these points of view up, uh, what actually is your favorite point of view that, that you would use or that you like in particular when reading? Third person. It could be either the storyteller or the limited perspective. I like both, although I would have to say while there's something appealing about the sort of uh, liberty you get in, in uh, the omniscient storyteller. I think the limited perspective is probably what I enjoy most mm -hmm. because of um, the element of tension that you can get more, a, a, little, a little bit better. But yeah, it's sort of, it's between these two for me. I, I don't like first person. You don't? Why not? It's just, it doesn't really work for me. Maybe I'm not, I, I don't have enough empathy or something, but I, I can't really experience a story through the eyes of, a, of, of another character in the story. It's, it's, I, I, to me, it feels awkward and jarring. I, I cannot get into that. It's very strange. Yeah, it takes a level of immersion because you kind of... It takes yeah you yeah, merge it, with that character. It takes a level person. of it's more than just immersion. It's it's really really identifying with the character to yeah. such an extent that you become the character. I can't do that. Uh, I'm just not like that. Oh, I don't have trouble doing that, uh, and not just with uh, characters like Katniss, who are more like like I am myself, uh, perhaps. <laughs> But also with, uh, with for example, David in Reckoners. He's a, he's a guy and he's a geek and he knows everything about guns and, and he's obsessed with these epics. Um, and it's, I have no trouble at all um, identifying with, with a guy like that. I, I, for know, me, yeah. it's a bit like, you know, in, in, uh, in movies, there, there's been this sort of experiment um, with uh, movie... Uh, with, the, with the camera uh, angle, apparently um, audiences empathize more and more with a character the closer they get to their gaze, mm -hmm. to, to, the, to their eyes. But the moment when the character completely turns to the audience and looks directly at you into the camera, that empathy is gone. It's very strange. But it's yeah, but that's logical. Characters are not supposed to look into the camera if you want to f feel immersed because you have yeah, to look but, through but their the, eyes. The, the closer they come to actually looking into the camera, the more you empathize. Really? Yeah, I, I learned that once. But but when you go all the way, then suddenly the, the, the whole spell breaks. And for me, first person is that. It's sort of... It, the whole thing falls apart for me, whereas, whereas third person limited makes me empathize more. Mm. No, I think first person is more like what they do um, in the Hunger Games, for example, the, the, the movie adaptation. I thought it was a brilliant screen adaptation of uh, the, the way they used the camera was exactly 
like the point of view in the novel. It was actually, I was actually watching a first person present tense uh, narrator, which which I thought was really awesome. Yeah, for me that didn't work at all. I mean, I liked the movie for, um, you know, for various reasons. I thought it was, you know, the, the acting was really good and the designs were good and the music was good and all of that. But I hated the camera work. I really hated it. Oh, it because it was so choppy and so confusing and it made me physically sick, actually. Whoa. Does that mean we actually disagree on something? I loved it. I thought it was, it was really, really well done. So I, I think we, we, might, we might need to get a divorce for this. Hmm. I mean, Aren't we supposed to agree all the time? I don't, I don't know. I'm scared. We've never been here before. Me too. I don't know what to do now. Let's call a lawyer or something. Yeah, let's keep one handy, just in case. Or maybe let's talk about um, points of view in, in different media. And, yeah, best be and, safe. And leave yeah. this yeah, best scary be topic behind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... Shall we talk about uh, visual media first? Yeah, you know. Because there's a thing like there's point of view in the story and you have point of view in the visuals. And that's very interesting as well to talk about. Yeah, that's why I, I immediately thought of video games. Um, because in video games, uh, very often you have, the, the, you have first person and third person games. and um, So a limited narrator then actually. Well, it's it's not about narration. It's about the camera point of yeah, view. Yeah, the camera point of view. Um, but I, I, I would say it's similar to narration in a mm -hmm. book in the sense that it changes how you experience the story. Um, and I guess a first or third person would be more immersive that way. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, in, in, in games, um, you know, a, a, a first person would be... Uh, like, you know, lo a lot of shooters are like that. Uh, most old-fashioned shooters, you know, like Doom and, and Wolfenstein and, and then the, the earlier Call of Duty games. Um, that was all always first person. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then third person is more something like Lara Croft, where you sort of follow the character. But we're talking about a quote-unquote limited point of view right because um the omniscience yeah. variant would be like a top-down um overview of, yeah. of a scene and then watching the characters well th that's interesting that's an interesting way to put it because um indeed uh, the third person limited you would is what you would get in a game like castlevania or yeah. tomb raider or whatever and then the um the the, the third person omniscience uh would be translate you could translate as you know what you get in strategy games or in certain uh, top-down role-playing games like Baldur's Gate etc yeah like the games that focus on looting more than immersion uh well i wouldn't say that Baldur's Gate necessarily uh focuses on loot but it but Diablo does and that's also from a top-down yeah. perspective yeah i was i was thinking about dungeon crawlers specifically right yeah which uh, often use a very uh, top-down perspective to 
yeah kind of reveal these hidden doors in, in, and yeah chambers. in the case of something like Baldur's Gate it's it's really the top down is a, is you control an entire party of of heroes and what they do and and um right and, and that's why it's top down and divinity original sin still uses this as well uh, although yes. you can you have the ability to zoom in which kind of makes it a bit more immersive when you're in uh, the middle of a battle, for example, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Bioware also kind of um, found a middle road when they did um, the f uh, Knights of the Old Republic and Dragon Age, um, where it's it's third person and and um, you you sort of you get you control an entire party, but you also see them from closer. Um, so yeah, so yeah, there are very, very, very different ways to do this. I would say in a game, my absolute favorite point of view would be a, a first-person limited. Then, um, like um, for you, example, in Skyrim, you seeing can, through the eyes of yeah, the character. Yeah, you can choose between a first-person or a third-person limited because you can yeah. also zoom out and and watch mm. your character actually uh, going through all these adventures. But I, I always use uh, the first person where you can yeah. see the entire game from the eyes of the character and thus uh, you're more immersed into the story, I think. Well, here's the, the strange thing for me. Theoretically, I would prefer third person, and, 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 but being close to the character. Mm -hmm. I, I like being able to see my character, uh, the cool new armor that I've got. Um, but... Uh, in 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 actuality, when I when I play uh, a Bethesda game, Fallout or Elder Scrolls, I always play first person. Yeah, right. Because um, it feels more natural. It feels more like I'm actually experiencing this. Is, exactly. is this really happening? Um, I've watched you play, but I noticed that sometimes. You just hit that third person button just to watch your armor and your cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just to see that. how cool I look. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and then and I go back to first person. Yeah. It's a, it's strange how you how you experience these things. And and what's also interesting is um, maybe to talk about multiple viewpoints in games. Do you mean uh, yeah. Well, well, like I said, um an example is if you look at um, Dragon Age or Knights of the Old Republic, mm -hmm. um, you've got a party, you mm -hmm. control different characters, and you can sort of switch to the different perspectives of each character during a combat situation. Right. Um, I mean, you don't look through their eyes, but you, you, you're close to that character. Yeah. And over the shoulder, which really is, is makes you identify with that character. So you're actually able to switch uh, character perspective in, in those games. I, I never yeah. really liked that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird for me as well, to be honest. I like to focus on one character and, and me go too. through the game. Me and, too. Um, I and have followers that I can bus around. That's... Usually so more what, what really worked for me, and, and I think that's a sort of perspective that I really like, is a game like, for example, within role-playing games, because, you know, um, other games do this too, but within role-playing games, something like um, Kingdoms of Amalur, for example, uh, or um, 
or fable or or uh, divinity dragon knight uh, saga is when you you've the, the camera is locked to your one character you play one character that's you and you sort of follow that character around uh, mm-hmm. with the camera really close to that character like mass effect is like that also you play commander shepherd you're always close and and the witcher also the, the witcher yeah. does that with Geralt. You're, you you always follow that character around and, um, and the witcher also uses multiple viewpoints right because uh, but then in uh, in the cutscenes and gameplay you mean a storytelling viewpoints really i mean you yeah, s- get yeah. to see what other characters yeah because uh, i remember you i i've, I've not played it very long <laughs> but i i remember you uh playing on and and being able to pick uh, or or to play series uh point of view in the game at, at in witcher 3 yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as I as I mentioned, that's to me that for that particular story that kind of took me out of the feeling of of role playing of 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 being in that sort of chase situation. Yeah, I understand. Also because she really kicked ass, and you were like, "Why are you trying yeah. to save this?" She girl? doesn't need rescuing. She doesn't yeah. need rescuing. She exactly. But but in I mean, Mass Effect Two had a scene. Where you play as uh, Joker, the, the ship's captain, mm-hmm. for um, for for one brief part, and I didn't. I, I thought it was original because you know Joker is um, he has a disability, so he can't run, and you, you're being chased by aliens, and so it, it makes it very tense. Wow, that's uh, scary. He, uh, but um, but it took me out of the feeling of I'm Commander Shepard. Hmm. So yeah, I don't really like that. Um, I don't like cutscenes either. That's one of the reasons why I like uh, Skyrim and and uh, and and uh, Oblivion so much. Is there are no cutscenes ever? It's you're always in your character. Yeah, I, always. I like it when they make a clear distinction between a game and a movie. So um, yeah. yeah, let's talk about movies. Yes, movies, because for the people who don't play games, they've been snoring for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> Wake up, it's uh, about movies now. <laughs> um, yeah, movies do very interesting things with point of view uh, yeah. through, the cara- through the camera. Yeah. I always like to use the example of E.T. Uh, Steven Spielberg explained that when he made E.T., he put all the cameras very low to the ground throughout the entire movie it's kind of interesting you don't really notice that you don't think about that when you watch it but it's true if you if you analyze it the cameras are always low to the ground and that's because the entire movie is intended to be seen from the perspective of a child that's interesting yeah and 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 indeed a lot of these original uh, things they do with camera work uh, when it comes to point of view are barely noticeable unless mm. you really start paying attention to it. Yes. It's like when uh, when I did the paper on, on The New World, um, when I was doing film studies, when you start really analyzing a movie and watching, paying uh, close attention to the camera work, you actually notice there's a lot of things directors decide uh, doing with their camera to invoke certain uh, emotions or um, mm. ideas that really, really work, but you're just not aware of it. Right, yeah. And that's, that's really interesting. 
One thing that comes to mind for me is how in horror movies you have the typical scene where you see, um, for example, a bunch of people by a campfire and you see them through the eyes of the monster lurking in the bushes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you hear some breathing. <sighs> you know. I think if in general, <laughs> uh, horror or slasher um, traditionally uses a first-person visual uh, point of view or of the monster or creature mm. to invoke a sense of being watched. Uh, I think the X-Files does that a lot in the, yeah. the preview. But isn't that interesting that the sense of being watched is created by filming it through the the eyes of the watcher? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's very strange how visual media work. Yeah, isn't it works it? very differently from a novel uh, yeah. that way. Yeah, if you would write a scene from the viewpoint of the monster, you wouldn't get the sense of being watched. You'd get the sense of being the monster. So it's very very bizarre how how uh, how of that works. Of course, they they also use camera perspective to to make you feel scared and helpless, like in the Blair Witch Project. Um, it helps you to identify with. Uh, to identify with the terrible situation at hand, the the characters. I don't think it really works that way. I didn't really feel more immersed because of the camera angle. It was I haven't often seen it. Very confusing, I thought. I but haven't seen it, but but I to be honest, I understand the intention of it. I, I'm trying to imagine a first-person movie, and I think if you don't see the character, you don't empathize with, you don't identify with them at all. No, there, there's different characters, of course. I think you immerse more with the the situation and the emotion, mm. but not as much with the characters because I don't really remember what they were like. So for me, it didn't really work that way, but I thought it was a very nice experiment. Um, it's been done again uh, afterwards. Uh, yeah, it's, it's um, fascinating. What, of course, yeah. what worked more for me uh, to invoke... Uh, <laughs> terror is a more i would say omniscient viewpoint in in that movie the strangers which was awful because i i nearly uh, squeezed the hand of my dad to bits because i was so scared and there's this scene where uh, you see this kitchen and the people in the house are terrorized by actually you don't know what it's very confusing so the narrative has a limited point of view in the sense that mm. you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. and you're scared with the characters of the movie but then the visuals uh, you, you see the scene in the kitchen where the, mm -hmm. the characters are present and you can see one of the bad guys just standing there in the background with a mask and he's just standing there and that's really scary yeah it, it seems to me like that's Something they do a lot in horror yeah, these days. It creates a distance, but still it gives you the, the chills. Yeah, sort of the the shocking element thrown in almost incidentally, almost like it's nothing special, making it more shocking in a right, way. Right, right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I see what you mean. And, and when it comes to points of view in the narration uh, in movies... I think using um, an omniscient or limited narrator actually in a movie occurs more in the older or more 
artistic movies like uh, Le Fabuleux d'Estaing d'Amélie Poulain and um, Matilda by Roald Dahl, the, the movie with Danny DeVito. They, they have a narrator and they use a voiceover to do that. So um, the voiceover could be a, a sort of detached narrator? Yeah. Or it could be the the main character yeah. reflecting on, yeah. Well, it, it uh, it's done in the Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah, um, right. It begins with Galadriel mm-hmm. as the narrator. She sort of she takes you into this ancient history. The world has changed. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what people forget is that towards the end, all the way at the end of Return of the King, you have Frodo as a narrator. Uh, you get Frodo's voiceover. Sort of looking back on the whole experience. Right, you have different ones in the Lord of the Rings. And it works. And in The Hobbit, you get um, Bilbo's uh, sort of reflection on what it was like in the opening scenes. Also typical in movies is when they they use a voiceover to reflect the thoughts of characters. And then you see that the mouth of the character is not moving. (laughs) Yeah, that can be fun. Especially in, in comedies, I think. Uh, you know, when someone thinks all kinds of horrible things, but is acting really polite, for example. <laughs> yeah. um, so you can do funny things with, uh, with that. Okay, um, we've talked about movies. Let's talk about the medium that people always forget, except for our lovely fans, of course. Audio. Yeah, um, and we can talk about both uh, audio drama and audio books. I think in uh, audio books... A narrator is normal. It's Otherwise, you wouldn't have an audio book. Audio book, <laughs> have an audiobook, so yeah. it's it's expected. But in audio drama, there's this kind of a lot of people have this allergy towards narrators. They they really don't want a narrator in audio drama because they that's, think yeah. that's the distinction between an audio book and an audio drama, and it should be respected. Audio drama fans uh, always say that the uh, narrator takes them out of the immediacy of the experience, and they want. They want the immediate experience of, you know, a story is just happening. Um, you're in it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's unfolding before your ears. And the narrator would kind of take you out of that. Personally, um, I don't agree with that, but I have a minority opinion in the audio drama world. <laughs> For me, I need a narrator. To me, the narrator is my anchor into the story. Because if, if I don't have that then I can't imagine what's happening. I need a narrator to sort of establish what things look like, what things feel like, where we are exactly, to tell me a a little bit about the setting, about the world. Mm -hmm. And then you can sort of let the story unfold through the action. But if you don't have that at all, a narrator, then very quickly I think you fall into one of two traps the first one is that the characters start narrating everything that they do, which oh, is what's very. This? Yeah. I haven't seen this here before. Yeah. It looks like a stone. Yeah. But it's white. And yeah. It has red spots. So on why it. are you taking that gun out? Why are you pointing it at me? Uh, you know that kind of stuff, which is very unnatural and feels very fake. Right. Or you go to the other extreme and you don't explain anything, and the sounds just have to do the storytelling. And then, you know, th- that's not possible. And what you get is just this bunch of noise, people screaming. Yeah. And you have no idea what's going on. And I think that's even worse because 
I just space out I, I, and I, I lose track of the entire story. Yeah, that happens a lot. Actually. And, yeah, I, and to me, that's, that's my problem with modern audio drama is it, it it's, tends to be like that. And, um, and as lovely as the stories are and, uh, and as great as the, the sound design is, it, that just doesn't work for me. Uh, so give me a narrator to to help me understand and get yeah. me into the atmosphere and so yeah that's the way i see it i think part of the problem is also that uh lots of um people who write audio drama uh have been trained to write movie scripts mm. and it's an entirely different medium so you really have to reckon with you having to tell the story through sound and not through mm. visuals. So if you visually describe things, yes, you have to really pay attention to that because yes. the the audio designer uh, yes. can often not create the exact yes. sound that you visually want to uh, represent. Yes, uh, things like she nodded or he looked around or <laughs> you know you can't actually yeah, she hear that. Very <laughs> insecure. Um, yeah. So then the yeah, I mean, you, designer has to make her sound insecure. You can convey that in the acting, yeah. etc. Yeah. But you, it's, you constantly have to be aware of this massive handicap yeah. that the listener has. So, um, but as for storytelling viewpoints in audio, in audio drama, that's something that hasn't really been discussed very much, is it? Um, yeah, because I think there's a big overlap between audio drama, audio books, and on the one hand, and narrative points of view in uh, in books. Yeah, if novels. if you use a narrator, but in in if you don't use it, if you don't have a narrator, can you convey different viewpoints? Um, I wonder. Probably purely in the sound. I guess so. By using. Yeah, by playing uh, with uh, where the sound comes from, for example. Yeah, yeah. Y you could sort of have the microphone stay with one character, like a camera stays with one character. Yeah, um, and like what you did with um, Merilia in um, The Will of the Woods, when she was underneath the cloak and something outside of the cloak was yeah. happening and you had the point of view from outside the cloak where the wraith was. Yeah. And then from inside, where she Yeah, was. what we did there is we switched uh, the viewpoint. Yeah. I hope that was clear to the listener, because we didn't explain that. But you got this perspective of Merilia, so you, you hear the cloak being wrapped around her, and then you hear these, these noises outside, yeah. and they're sort of It's more dull. muted. Yeah. yeah. And then you get the Wraith's perspective, and you hear the, the voices very clearly. And, uh, and Mirilia's voice is sort of muted from underneath his cloak when she addresses him. This looks dangerous. Hide under my cloak. I will keep you safe. Wraith, what about you? Are you safe? Wraith? Wraith! Are you all right? The mist. The mist is gone. 
were safe. I heard horrid things. Did you see anything? Don't ask, Miralia. It was terrible. Like a wave of evil washing over me. And if it wasn't clear to the listener, then then that's probably some more proof that it's really hard to do <laughs> this. It, it is, audio. it is. There's, of course, there's such a thing as maybe you need to listen to a lot of audio drama to sort of learn how to listen to it. To sort of learn how to how to extract the story from, from pure sound, that might be true. I, I'm not sure. And another way to sort of convey a viewpoint in audio is using 3D audio, where you can actually put the listener uh, into the experience and make the listener the main character by having sounds coming at you and behind you and, you know... And underneath and you, underneath you, you, and from within you, maybe, <laughs> if you had too many Mexican beans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, that's relatively new, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, something that Michelle LaFrance of the Owl Field is doing. Uh, First-person audio drama. And that's exactly what he's uh, going for. Yeah, like in the fairy tree. Yeah, the fairy tree, um, which is is actually also an interactive one. If you like uh, Will of the Woods, uh, you might like this. Um, it's something that we helped with, um, with the script. We, we wrote it and then he created it. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a good example of, um, of a first-person interactive audio drama with a second-person narrator because there's a narrator who sort of tells you you are the hero and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very unique experience. So it's a modern 3D audio choose-your-own-adventure fairy tale kind of thing. Yeah, of, or think of it as a video game uh, without video. Of course, it's, it's not as expansive as a video game. It's much more limited. It's, uh, it'll take about 30 minutes to go through the adventure. But you can do it three or four times and it's different every time. Yeah, and there's a narrator, right, who talks about you and uh, you have a first-person experience and your character doesn't really speak or react uh, as a consequence. No, yeah, that, that's, of course, the downside. Um, and, and I try to ad- address that in the script by having other characters say things like, oh, you don't talk much, do you? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's probably the only way to uh, <laughs> kind of get around that. Yeah. The time for talk has ended, champion. It is time to decide, my young friend. The fate of our queen, the fate of our people, the fate of our land lies in your hands. Which one of us will be your companion on this most important journey? The time has come to make your first choice. Choose wisely as you can choose but one companion for your journey. A journey for the queen. A journey for the realm. A journey for survival. To choose the bold warrior Brutus, select chapter two. To choose the wise wizard Magisterius, select chapter nine. Okay, so uh, we've been talking for a long time now about uh storytelling viewpoint. Who would have thought that this would have been a topic that had so much 
you know, to, to say about it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but but uh, again, we want to emphasize uh, there's no need if you're a, a writer of of uh, for any of these media to start from the theory of using a point of view. Uh, you can also just start writing and then and then decide and just make it consistent. I think that's that's the that's the most important thing that you make it consistent. And I think knowing the the upsides and downsides of each point of view is is a very good tool to to decide which one you have you eventually want to pick. Yes, and for anyone who's interested in writing especially if you want to write uh, fantasy um, a lot of what we said uh, comes from Brandon Sanderson's lectures and uh, I really recommend them. They're on YouTube for free. Uh, go to the channel Camera Panda. Camera Panda, yeah, like movie camera and then Panda. Camera Panda and there you can watch his all of his lectures and he talks about viewpoints for uh, among many other things. Okay, so I think it's time to wrap this up. Uh, I still have to contact my lawyer for the terrible disagreement we had. I'll uh, just give you a makeup kiss. <laughs> there. That's so cheap. Well, it's cheaper than a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was um, this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll be back. Bye. Bye. That was this week's episode. Again, um, I hope you've enjoyed it and um, we'll be back next week. If you enjoy our own dramatized audiobooks and audio dramas, you can find them on Bandcamp, audioepics.bandcamp.com. You can find the books if you like to read on Amazon. Just type in, uh, you know, Witch Hunter and then my name, Domine de Grote. And you can just listen to our stories right here on this channel, on this podcast. So I wish you all a wonderful week, and until next time, this is Domine, signing off.